Father, thank you for uh, allowing us to be here to gather as a community, as a body of Christ, to study your word, to, uh, to worship you, to fellowship together. Um, we pray now that your Holy Spirit would activate the, the scriptures in our heart to live it uh, and to do it. Through Jesus Christ we pray, amen. <clears throat> so we are continuing our Foundation of Marriage series and we've transitioned, we are transitioning today. Yeah, I don't, I don't accept that, I can't use words. Uh, <laughs> words have definitions have meanings. Uh, and we are transitioning into the child-rearing phase of the, the marriage series. And so I decided not to, uh, I decided not to change this into a, originally, you know, you go through different iterations when you were creating a series, and first it was marriage and child-rearing, and now it's just a marriage series because uh, child-rearing would be a normal outcome of marriage. Huh. Interesting. Uh, and so this isn't, we're not going into a separate series. I did cut it down. I was going to have four weeks on confession, forgiveness, fellowshipping together, but we decided, I was able to wrap it all up into one week last week, but now for, I didn't count, I think it's about 13 weeks. It's, it's 10 to 13 weeks on, on child rearing. And so as we transition, it's, it should be understood that because, or the way I'm, I'm presenting it, uh, and we'll find out biblically that childbearing is a normal outcome of marriage. And so it doesn't, I don't need to uh, have the birds and the bees talk with you guys. Uh, if you don't get it, go ask somebody else. Uh, but it would, but childbearing, having children would be a normal outcome of marriage. It would be abnormal uh, in your marriage uh, to not have children apart from the providence of God. The only thing. Uh, we, we, we don't discount that. That's, you can try as hard as you want. You can not try as hard as you want. But the providence of God is the providence of God. And, and uh, he'll decide. <clears throat> and so that starts all the way in Genesis when we were looking at our, our marriage verses. We only had about 10 of them. In Genesis one twenty eight, the Lord says, And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so contextually in, in Genesis 1, it actually doesn't say that they got married. It just says that they were created and that there was man and woman. They were made in, in the image of God and be fruitful and multiply. But, but it's not even a whole chapter later we realize that they were married. And so... Uh, the fruitfulness, the multiplying, is a normal course in marriage. It's almost uh, scripturally, it's expected. It's, it's why you see all the women like, uh, is it Hannah uh, and some of the other ladies who are, are barren, and they're sad. It isn't because they got to choose. Uh, I think I want children, and I really want them, and, uh, and I'm sad that I don't have them. They were sad, but it's because it's a normal outcome of marriage. It's... it's uh, you don't have to go too far into marriage without trying before our ch children are inevitable. And so what we're coming to, uh, why, why I think this marriage series and the child rearing part is, is uh, important and why it's half on the relationship of marriage and the responsibilities of husband and wife and what marriage is and the foundations. And the other half is child rearing is because, one reason is because uh, the culture we live in is overtly and subtly 
just despises children. We don't have a, we don't live in a culture that really, I don't want to say, I don't know if honor is the right word, but uh, generally our culture marginalizes, marginalizes children. And so that's just not how the scriptures view children. Scriptures don't marginalize them the way we do, <clears throat> or at all. But, so Psalm 127, 3 through 5, says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of their womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And so it says that they're an, a heritage, they're an inheritance. Children are usually, I mean, you could uh, get an inheritance if your parents pass away, and you could be like, oh man, I got, a, I got my dad's belt. Uh, that's, not a, that's not maybe not the inheritance you were looking for or, or something. Um, and you could be disappointed with your inheritance, but the, the scriptures are putting forth that the, your children are an inheritance in, in the greatest sense, uh, and that they're a reward that the children, that the fruit of your womb is a reward. Those are good things. Those aren't uh, things that you normally like, oh man, like that you get grumpy at or, or frustrated with. It's a reward. And even in verse 5, it says, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. And so uh, even in a Christian culture, we say that children are a blessing. And so if you want to multiply your blessing, multiply your children. Uh, <laughs> There you go. And you're like, oh, man, I thought the, like, I didn't know the blessing was a bunch of diapers. <laughs> Praise God. Uh, <laughs> you thought you were filling your quiver with children, and it's just you're filling it with diapers. <clears throat> and so um, our culture, even more than, uh, our culture generally more marginalizes children, and even more than abortion and, and killing uh, unborn babies in the womb. That's obviously the. I think that's the greatest way we marginalize and and um, by killing the unborn. But uh, we've created a culture, or, or America has created a culture that treats children as meaningless. There's just no point to children generally in our culture. Um, and we won't get into child labor laws, but they at least had a purpose. Children had a purpose in the factories, but. But as a nation, we're currently fell below the 2.1 needed children per couple to repopulate our nation. And so currently, America isn't even having enough children to repopulate itself. And so our population, in that sense, is on a, is on a decline. And that alone shows that we don't have a high view of children. We don't have a high view of having children, having multiple children, raising them. Um, and, and we say, we even have a, uh, there's nobody, I don't think there's anybody in our culture, whether pagan or, or Christian, that doesn't say that children are our future. Like, yeah, we all know that we're going to die, our children are going to raise up, and they're going to be the future of America. They're going to be the future of our culture. They're going to be the future of our church. But we say that, but somehow it's translated into still we have had steady moral decline generation after generation after generation. And that shows that we're probably not putting the time or the work or the effort or following God's design for child rearing. Um, because some of it's just plain in scripture and some of it's uh, just having the principles and ideas 
that this is really important, that our children, that what we're passing down is a heritage from the Lord. They're our heritage and inheritance, and they're going to take over. And we say we, we uh, love children and that they're the future, but somehow we're still having steady moral decline. And so, um, and so uh, kind of frankly, if a church isn't giving instruction on raising children and keeping it as a focus, that church is going to see decline. That church is, you, you would expect um, that that church, that subculture of that church, would see a, a decline uh, and a marginalization of their children because they're not doing anything different than the broader culture. If, a, if the children really are our future, if they really are a heritage from the Lord, if we really are blessed to have children and have a quiver full of them, then the church should probably teach on it kind of regularly and maybe keep that as a focus. Uh, and if not, you would expect the same thing that we see in the broader culture. I wouldn't, uh, you know, the uh, popular definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And so if we do the same thing as the broader culture that's in a moral freefall, we shouldn't expect any, any different results. And so... Um, uh, some of the ways that we're, we'll get into later in the in the series on like what are the practicals and how do we raise children and what are the instructions, but just to examine our culture is is the um, I first read this in a book by teenagers. It was written by teenagers, Alex and Brett Harris called Do Hard Things. It's one of the most impactful books of my life, and it's the first book I read like in one sitting, cover to cover, and. Uh, for some of the uh, um, just teachings on basic discipline and and uh, living a worthwhile life, but they bring out <clears throat> this is the first time I heard of this is this isn't their study, but uh, they brought out that in the 40s was where we created the word teenager, and before it wasn't a word, and there were um, I couldn't track down who or what, but or what company, but. Uh, multiple resources are saying marketing executives created the word teenager to market to this specific individual group. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll believe it until I see some contradicting evidence. So if that's true, uh, this teenage culture was largely developed uh, by uh, business corporations and executives who are marketing to a new group of, of a subculture to sell them something. And... Um, and I read an interesting article last night that the teenage culture started to really develop in the 20s with the uh, uh, proliferation of, of the automobile where teenagers were at a certain age were able to gain a lot of freedom apart from their parents. And they were able to take the automobile and travel and, and be separate from their parents with very little responsibility. And, and a few decades later, we have the sexual revolution. And so what we have in our culture is what we call teenagers is totally worthless people. <laughs> They're not, they do not add to our culture in almost any bit in a broad sense that we've created, except for uh, maybe we can uh, pay them minimum wage to hopefully not get my Wendy's order messed up. But in a large part, that is being taken over by adults who want to use that as a living wage and... And, but generally, what we have is this teenage group who aren't children, 
and they're not, not adults, and we don't treat them like children, but we don't treat them like adults, and they're just in this middle wasteland where they have no purpose, they have no meaning, they don't add to society, and we're not preparing them for adulthood. And so generally in Scripture, what we have are children and adults. And uh, you might be able to create, we don't have any, as far as I know, there's no uh, biblical language or, or lingo that lends to the idea that there's a middle stage between childhood and adulthood. It just seems like children are children and adults are adults, and when they act like children, they're children, and when they act like adults, they're adults. Um, <laughs> and so most teenagers today, uh, just in our culture, don't have the comprehension to keep themselves alive if they were left alone, and, and for the most part. Part. Uh, uh, my awesome mother is here, and uh, if I was a teenager one day, once, once, uh, and when I was left alone, it wasn't good. Uh, <laughs> I didn't do anything that was productive to add to uh, my own life or or the broader broader culture. And so, uh, the idea that we've created in this culture, and we've had for coming up on a hundred years is created this subculture of, of these teenagers, these adolescents who aren't adults and we can't use them in any way to be useful towards society and generally even families don't prepare them for adulthood and in a large part they just act like children. They have no responsibilities and, uh, and there's, there's no discipline, there's no training that, that prepares uh, children to become adults. And so adulthood becomes more about, it's less about an age and it's more about uh, an attitude and the following actions. And so it doesn't matter what, um, what age you are, it doesn't matter if you turn 18, if you act like a child, you're still a child. Some, of, some people uh, turn 19, 20, 25, 30, and they still act like children. And so just because we, you're allowed to, uh, I think now you can't buy cigarettes in Ohio until you're 21, is that true? Yeah. Mar- my oldest daughter, Mariah, she's 18, she told me that. Uh, <laughs> well, I asked her about it. Uh, she's like, no, I can't. Okay. Um, but, and so we put restrictions and limitations, which I don't think are, are bad things. Uh, I don't think you should, a 12-year-old should be able to go buy a carton of cigarettes. And <laughs> that's not what I'm advocating for. But uh, we have, in America, we've created a culture where we say you're an adult when you're 18. You can vote, you can buy alcohol, you can buy cigarettes, and we, and we do these things. But it doesn't mean you're an adult. It doesn't mean your parents prepared you. It doesn't mean you can, you're mature. It doesn't mean you can live on your own. It doesn't mean you can make good decisions. And it certainly doesn't mean you're mature. And so... <clears throat> so when your child reach, <clears throat> excuse me. So when your children reach adulthood, uh, they either become to you, and you've worked 18, 20 years on it, however long it is, and they either become a continual blessing to you as a parent or a step parent, or they become a continual source of anguish, and and that's largely due to how you raise them, and there's. Uh, I don't, there's, you know, people make their own decisions. Your children are your own people. They make their own decisions. And so there's some things you're not at fault for, and there's, but to a large degree, you are. But you can't say 
that if all your children end up, they're not just all bad apples. <laughs> they didn't all just turn out to be bad apples because, uh, I don't know, that's how, that's how the cookie crumbles or something. Um, that's not the way it works. And so what you're investing in now from when your children are born until you release them into the world is when they're out on their own, this is either going to be a continual blessing to you, you're going to be at peace that your children are able to not just live on their own, but if uh, they follow and imitate you in the Lord, or they become a continual source of anguish and, uh, and regret sometimes. And so this part of the series, or, or uh, uh, the rest of the, the uh, marriage series on child rearing, is focused on a biblical perspective on raising children, uh, and we'll look specifically on the indicatives of Scripture. So just how we went through the marriage series, there was like only 10 verses we looked at, at for the whole 13 or so weeks, and it's not that hard to open up your Bible or go on Google and look for uh, you know, things on marriage, look for husband, look for wife, and you, and you find the indicatives in Scripture on what's, what you ought to do in marriage. And the same goes through for, uh, for child-rearing. And so we'll look at a lot of the indicatives in Scripture. Uh, we'll run through those. Um, and and so, so the Scriptures have a lot to say about it. But what I want to focus and, and remind everybody in this introduction is that the kind of the whole of child-rearing is that you are raising immortal souls. These aren't just people, you know, uh, I think every parent gets a little disillusioned and uh, when you see Caleb today, he's got a nice little suit on. He's cute. I'm going to hold him up here, and he's got a bow tie, and I'm going to tell you how cute he is, because uh, he is. And, but, and we get kind of uh, like, I want a baby because he's cute, and I want a baby. And, and we do get a little disillusioned when parenthood, we're getting into parenthood, uh, about that, you know, uh, it is going to be cute, it is going to be nice, it is going to be awesome. Um, but... The weight of it on your shoulder should be that you are raising people who will live forever. These people will uh, live a life that either glorifies God or rejects the ways of God. They will either, at the end of their life, die and uh, spend an eternity in torment and hell or in the presence of God in, in paradise forever. That's who, and that largely has to do with God putting you in place as, as an agent and a means of grace to guide them and direct them. And so, uh, it's a really important. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you should be scared. <laughs> you, you should take it seriously, right? <clears throat> because the people that you're changing diapers for, the people you kick a soccer ball with, uh, the people you go on bike rides with, the people you, you're taking to school, the people you're sitting down with dinner, they're going to live forever. And, and so... Uh, that's why it's important. That's why it's worth focusing on, on uh, for a while. It'll be about like 10 to, 10 to 12 weeks, 10 to 13 weeks. <clears throat> and so uh, that's why we should take it seriously. These, the, the kids we raise, they're not just cute little boys with bow ties and nice cute suits on, uh, even though they're not old enough to even think for themselves, but they will live forever uh, before God. And so you, uh, mothers, fathers, uh, stepmothers, stepdads, you guys are the agents of grace, that the primary agents of grace that God is putting in your children's life to influence their lives uh, 
And you are directed by God uh, to be those agents to raise them to fear, love, honor, and obey God. And so that's a pretty high calling. I don't know if there's any higher calling than that. Um, when we went through the marriage series, it's pretty weighty for men to have the responsibility of leading their wife. And I think that's pretty weighty, but I think I personally feel and, and think it's even weightier to raise children. Uh, and harder, because they don't, they don't understand uh, certain things at two months old that I, I think they should understand. I think they should. <laughs> I don't understand why he doesn't get it. But, and so Proverbs 22, 6, everyone probably knows this one, says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. <clears throat> and so the reason why it's really important to focus on on child rearing in a biblical perspective is because it's very hard to unlearn things. And the more you do it as from a child into adolescence and adulthood, it gets even harder to unlearn. Uh, they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks uh, because that's a, it's a truthism. Because uh, once you go, maybe you've done something for 10 years and that's hard to break that habit or that mindset. But once you go 20 years, 30 years, 40 years in the same habits and same mindsets, it gets very, very hard to break. And, and obviously, without the grace of God, you'll never break bad habits or, or unbiblical mindsets. But um, the focus here is, is what we'll look at is, are you raising your children in a godly atmosphere in a biblical way so that uh, and, and God uses those means of grace in their life so that when they grow up and when you release them, they're not going to depart from it. And that goes for good habits, that goes for bad habits, that goes for good biblical mindsets, that goes for bad, uh, unhealthy, unbiblical mindsets. And so, <clears throat> and so what we have in, in, what we see in Scripture is parents, but primarily fathers, teach their children reality. Uh, it always amazes me when you, like, you do something as a family and and you go and maybe visit another family or your kids see something different and they realize that, like, that's not the way everybody does it. That's not the way, like, it just is. Uh, I remember doing that with Lily, and, and we do school all year. And even when she's in, in a private school, we still do school, and, and it's just normal to do school almost every day in some form. And then you're, she realizes that some kids get three months off. <laughs> like, oh, man, uh, feel sorry for those kids. I'm sure that's how she felt. Uh, um, but what, what parents do, and I think it's mainly fathers, are teaching their kids reality. And when you are raised, you, when, you, when you start raising children, you get into this, that there's a point at when your kids maybe get four, five, six years old, that something clicks and you're like, oh, they are realizing what I'm teaching them is, is they just take it as truth. They're not like, well, let me examine the evidence. And you said that, Dad, but... You said we're having macaroni because that's all we got. But is that true? Can we examine the cupboards? Can we kind of maybe reason through this and, and think about what else we can have? Uh, your kids get to that later. Uh, and before they get to that, they just argue. Uh, and they learn no pretty quickly. But, but for the large part is what you're doing as a parent is teaching them reality. And their belief system, their worldview, how they operate, their habits, what they think is 
uh, largely, if not 100%, directed by what you teach them as a parent. And so uh, the role of father and mother in the life of their children far surpasses any role of pastor, teacher, friend, sibling, mentor, or anybody else. That sphere of influence goes farther beyond anybody else your children will ever come into, in most cases, practically for the rest of their life. You know, God does offer, and in, in we are sinful people. Uh, that means that you're not a perfect parent, or you won't be a perfect parent. And God makes up for that and gives grace. And I've had the blessing of, of things that were lacking in my life being covered by uh, siblings, by pastors, by friends, by people in community. And God definitely makes a way so that you do not have to be perfect. You're not going to be perfect. And God gives grace upon grace to cover for your mistakes. But for the large part, it's uh, father and mother are the, the, uh, the most influential role in your children's life. And so if you don't like how they grow up and ra are raised, uh, uh, again, I'll pick on my mom because she's here. And, and I would hear sometimes, I didn't raise you. I would do something bad, and it was legitimately bad. Uh, and she would say, I didn't raise you. This isn't how I raised you. And I'm like, now I think, well, yeah, you did. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but, and so if you don't like how your children end up, that's your fault. <laughs> that is a large part your fault uh, in, in a lot of areas because you have the primary influence over them. And so that's why when they're, if, the, if it's true that train up a child in the way he should go, he won't depart when it, you know. Uh, and so the younger you get, the easier it is to train them. It gets a lot harder when your children are teenagers or, or young adults to, to train them to go a different way. And, and, so, um, and so from when your child is first born until, the, until your last child leaves the house, raising them, teaching them, nurturing them, disciplining them, and training them and loving them will take a large portion of your time, if not the majority of your time. And, and you might be surprised. I've, I've said this before from the pulpit, but I especially explain this to single men when I get together with them and ask them how their Bible reading and spiritual disciplines are and if they're thinking about young ladies and stuff. And I'm like, well... Uh, and I was just reminiscing with, with a friend yesterday of, of when I was single, I had three or four or five hours in the evening to do whatever I wanted. Uh, and I read for a couple hours, and I worked out, and I had hobbies, and I had side jobs, and I did all sorts of things. And then I got married, and then I don't, just don't have evenings anymore. That's weird. Uh, it just stopped. And then when you have young children, then you don't have evenings, you don't have mornings, and you don't even have the night. All you're trying to do is survive and, and, and get till, till they sleep through the night. And, and you're blessed to go to work because you get a break. Uh, and, and so the, just the way progression it is in life is when you start having children, you're going to be busy every day for about, depending on how many children you have, about 20 to 30 years with much less time. But that's what God designed it. That's what he wants. He didn't, this wasn't a part of the fall. Uh, and I don't know if, like, because like Adam lived like 900 years, does I don't think it's like his children, you know, think of how many diapers. I believe uh, that, that Adam, 
you know, we have, we stopped having children about like in our 40s or something. And I, I think Adam, I don't think Adam stopped in his 40s. I think he, him and Eve had children maybe up into the 800s. And so Adam, if you think it's bad, if you got two, three, four children changing diapers and they're close together, I think Adam and Eve were changing diapers for hundreds of years. So it could always be worse. Uh, I think they were very busy for a very long time. Yeah. And uh, this is controversial in, in, in families that have more, have uh, a lot of siblings, especially for the older siblings, but uh, the, the more children you have, the more help you have. Uh, yeah. Cheaper by the dozen. Uh, uh, many hands make light work. <laughs> right? And I don't think they're cheaper. Actually, the more children you have, they don't get cheaper. But, but it's going to take a large, you're talking about an endeavor when you start having kids, an endeavor that God's put you on for 20 to 30 years. So you should really prepare for that. This isn't something that uh, you would just, well, some people just stroll into it. That happens. Uh, that's how I got into parenthood. Just walked right into it. Just don't know how I got there. Um, but that's why you should take it seriously. That's why you should take this endeavor, this calling, this uh, vocation from God very seriously. And so in parenthood, since it takes so, many, so much time, you're going to, it's going to force you to have to lay aside a lot of things, like a lot. Uh, for, uh, if you're, if you're um, a married couple that doesn't have children yet and you, you don't know this, then uh, here you go. Uh, and one of the things that God does is in child rearing is it's, I think he's designed it to root out selfishness in you by giving you a very selfish individual. Uh, I have noticed very quickly that Caleb does not, like I keep telling him, he's like, buddy, you do not have to scream. You just have to ask nicely when you want to eat. And he, I mean, I've been talking about for uh, almost two months and he just doesn't get it. And, and, and so uh, God is trying to root out selfishness in you by giving you a very selfish individual at the beginning. And so when God in his, in his providence gives you children, that becomes your primary calling and vocation to, to raise godly children. And so it even is so important that it precedes uh, being an elder holding church office. And I think that when you look at the... Uh, um, the Great Commission and go out and make disciples of all nations. I think there's an order in in creation and, and what God created is in your household. If you're not making disciples in your household, you're. I don't think you should go out and make other disciples if you're not doing it first in the home. And if you're not making disciples in your household and you go out and make disciples, they're not going to be very good disciples. They're going to be, you wouldn't expect um, uh, someone who who can't raise, discipline, love, train their children, you wouldn't expect them to make, do that with somebody else better. Uh, sometimes it, it happens out that way because they don't live with you, they don't make you as upset, or they make you as upset, but they don't see it as often, and they don't know how much of a hypocrite you are, um, but your children will. And, and so fathering specifically, but parenthood, is shepherding. And, and, and we've talked about it from the pulpit, but the, uh, 
the, I think it was the 1611 King James, which changed the word from shepherd in Ephesians 4.11 to pastor. And so you're essentially pastoring. You are a pastor in your home. And that is the, the primary vocation, primary way God is raising godly children. It's not sending them off to youth group. We don't have a youth group. Uh, so, we, so you can't send them to our youth group. I don't think you want to send them to our youth group. Uh, anyways, but uh, it's not sending them off to have the pastor take care of it or sending them off to have someone else take care of it. You are the primary pastor and discipler in your home. And children are the fruit of that. And so I think there is a biblical, we'll look into this in, in subsequent weeks, but I think there is a biblical expectation that all your children are in the covenant. Now, we know practically that it happens that not everybody, every Christian's children will follow the Lord, but uh, I believe that at least God is putting them in the covenant. And they, then they can reject that or, or whatnot. And so, uh, as we get into this series, if you haven't already, you may come to realize that as we go through what is a biblical expectation for a household, what is a biblical expectation for a father with with his children and a mother uh, with her children, uh, you might realize, and you may come to realize, that even though you grew up in a Christian with Christian parents, you didn't grow up in a Christian home. And so, you you might go through a, a time period where you uh, if you haven't already, that you feel robbed. And so there's plenty of plain teaching throughout Scripture if you're looking for it on how to raise children. And, but you have to look for it. You have to take it seriously. You have to take the calling and the vocation from God very seriously. And so my admonition to as we go through the series, if you have those, uh, uh, well, it's, it's bitterness. Uh, if you have that bitterness, that says you were robbed, you weren't called to bitterness. Number one, uh, in Ephes- or, sorry, Philippians 3, Paul talks about forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. So if you want to think mature thoughts, if you want to be a mature Christian, you think, you don't think and dwell on what I missed out on in the past, you dwell on what God is calling you to now. And you strain and you strive towards the forward goal of the upward calling of of God in Christ Jesus. And so uh, you might not have been raised in a home that takes takes seriously the commands of God, but that doesn't mean your children have to. And so I think, um, you know, occasionally that, you know, everyone goes through a a period of, of disillusion or, or I don't know if everyone, that's probably just me, uh, uh, goes through like, oh man, I really wish things were different when I was, I would have turned out a better kid if I was raised differently or something. Uh, but that's not exactly, that's probably not true for one. Um, I probably just would have been just as sinful if I was in, in an in a even godlier atmosphere. Um, but I do occasionally think of, of that my children, I'm going to give them the opportunity to, to not have to go through some of the things that I went through, and that they're gonna, my goal is to raise my children in the most Christ-like, God-honoring, and God-fearing atmosphere as possible. And, uh, and I think that's a, that should be everyone's goal, regardless of how you were, how you were raised. And so Christ is really calling every parent to raise the bar. 
to return to the scriptures, to grab a hold of the grace of God, and raise your children well. And we have had, a even in the Christian culture, of tons of parenting books, which I don't think are necessarily bad. <coughs> Depends on the books. Um, and, but uh, if you... Like, we have a proliferation of, of parenting books, of marriage books, and somehow our marriages and, and, and parenting isn't getting any better. And 500-plus uh, years ago, there was probably still a lot of the same issues, but, you know, a lot in the culture, they were able to, just with the Bible, uh, uh, reform and revitalize culture with just the Bible in your hands. And later came books on and instruction on parenting. And so... Uh, God's calling is, is, you could read tons of parenting books, you could read tons of things, and, and I don't think that's necessarily bad, but it doesn't mean you're going to be a good godly parent, and it doesn't mean you're going to raise your children in a biblical sense. It does mean that you're going to have a lot of information from somebody. And so what we're going to do is look at the, biblical, the basic biblical teachings, give simple instruction, and uh, there's... A little bit less instruction in Scripture for raising children than there is for marriage, and I think even more so in child-rearing than in marriage. God's like, here's some instruction, but you got to go figure it out. Uh, all your children are going to have different personalities and, and different aptitudes and different levels of various things, and, and you have to really press that out. You have to work that out in your own home. And that's going to be, you have to work it out with this kid, and that kid, and that kid, and as many kids as you have. And, and so what the part of this series is designed to do is to raise the bar, return to uh, a biblical teaching on parenthood, and keep it at your forefront. And so we probably won't go through another marriage and child rearing series for a, in, in, at this length for a while. We might talk about it here and there. But hopefully it... It uh, gives you the gas to go. It gives you the ability to start thinking through them and, and change things in your households and your marriages and, and how you raise your children if it isn't biblical. And I don't think anybody is batting a thousand right now. I'm not. Uh, that means perfect. That means like you're hitting a home run every time. Every time my kids mess up, I'm just like super not frustrated and, uh, <laughs> and I discipline them perfectly. Exactly how they should be in the Lord. Uh, no, <laughs> not quite. Uh, and so uh, we really are just in the rest of this series uh, trying to raise the bar, return the scripture. I uh, really want everyone to focus on, on the grace of God that he is delivering to you to raise your children. And so let's pray. Uh, Father, we pray for that grace. We pray for that grace this morning uh, as we begin to go through the series in subsequent weeks uh, to reform our, our families, reform our marriages, reform our, uh, our fatherhood and, and motherhood uh, as you see fit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit this morning, Lord, for vibrant worship and let us worship you uh, ecstatically through Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat>